morning. I'm Joel. I'll be bringing you the message this morning. I have to say, I'm, I'm deeply honored to do that for our Fireside family. There's probably a larger percentage of that that is terror that I'm scared to admit, but I am excited to be here. So the scripture that we're going to be looking at this morning is Matthew 11:28 through 30. We're going to actually look at two versions of it because I think it'll give us a better scope. First one in, is in ESV, which is the English Standard Version. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Same verses, but from the message version. Are you tired? worn out, burnt out on religion, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. All right, there's four things that we want to go over this morning. One, what is our yoke? Two, what is Jesus' yoke? Three, how do I find rest in Jesus? And four, how do we then live out of that rest? Now, how can Jesus say this? Easy, rest. It seems like my experience of life tends to be the opposite of that. A relationship with Jesus can seem daunting, impossible, or even distant sometimes. Jesus was talking to a group of people who would have been very familiar with what a yoke was. This is not the hard-boiled kind. Right? A yoke was a harness used for work animals at that time. His audience likely understood that they also needed to submit to somebody else's religious authority at that time. The Pharisees were most people's religious leaders and the ones who most people would submit to. The Pharisees emphasized religious tradition in the oral teachings that came before them. Thus, that solidified their own hold on religious power and control at that time. Jesus was offering a different way. The clear dichotomy that I want to set up this morning is the difference between trying to do life on our own versus relinquishing control of that to God worked out in relationship with him. Have you ever tried to do something on your own and it didn't turn out the way you thought? Or maybe better phrased, what is the last thing you tried to do on your own that didn't work out the way you thought? When we first bought our house in 2014, it was three weeks after my mom had gone to be with Jesus, which seems to be a clear definition of an impulse buy. My dad is a general contractor. Growing up, I had the utmost confidence in him to fix or repair anything. My impression of him was that there wasn't a problem he couldn't figure out. So anyways, we waived the home inspection because we had my dad. I knew no matter what problem we ran into, he would be there with me. That winter of 14-15 was the most ridiculous snow ever. You might remember just the sheer amount of snow along with the cold temperatures formed some really difficult conditions. I remember the ice dams on our roof being taller than I was. 
Now that's not saying much for height, but that's pretty tall for ice dams. What we didn't know when we bought the house was that the roof was an absolute sieve. So when the ice dam started to melt, water poured in through every light fixture in our kitchen and bathroom. I didn't know what to do as a new homeowner. I called my dad and he said that to stop the water, I needed to get rid of the ice dams. So I did some quick research online and quickly concluded that pantyhose filled with rock salt would be my solution to this problem. So I went to CVS and bought pantyhose and I introduced myself to the neighborhood as the guy who puts pantyhose on his roof. The salt in the pantyhose was supposed to melt the dams and allow the water to flow off of the roof. But guess what happened? The ice dam stayed and the pantyhose were too high up to take down. So I had to wait until about April to retrieve my embarrassing solution. That summer, my dad, recently a widower, did an amazing thing. He came up and lived with Julie and I for six weeks, and we redid the roof, kitchen, and bathroom. He worked incredible hours to serve us in that time. I couldn't keep up with him. I mean, we were working 16-hour days. I would sneak away to get something from the hardware store and attempt to take a nap. Then at night, we would watch about 20 minutes of the movie, of a movie, both of us would fall asleep, we'd crawl upstairs, and he would sleep in a room with just a twin mattress and an open suitcase of his clothes. Then he would wake up before me in the morning and he'd start working again. I'd wake up as early as I could and my first coffee would be his third. And our conversation every morning would go something like this. You know, as I was laying there last night, Joel, I was thinking maybe we should do it this way. I was like, you went to bed thinking about that? Needless to say, this was the closest I've ever felt to my dad. It was an incredible model of love that I will never forget. So what did I decide to do three years later? I decided to rip apart two of our bedrooms upstairs and rebuild it so that we could start our family. Now that's a silly sentence because we didn't need to do it in order to have a family, but that's how the thinking went at that time. It started out so great. I invited some friends over. We were ninja kicking sheetrock, filling up dumpsters, slamming things with hammers, and having a great time. And I'd say, isn't this true whenever we set out to do something on our own power? There is this spike of adrenaline or elation that reaffirms in our mind that yes, I should be doing this on my own power. What a thing to be aware of. Anyways, once I had destroyed the upstairs, then I had to rebuild the two bedrooms. This turned out to be more work than I ever thought. I would say this is the sinking feeling that I have when I turn away from God and try to do something on my own power. I realize how isolated and scared I feel. Anyways, to fast forward the story, I started the construction in May, but at the end of October, after sleeping on our floor for a few months, I walked into the house and wished my wife a happy anniversary of 10 years together. She started crying, and not the good kind. She sweetly shared how tough it was to be sleeping on the floor for six months and waiting for this to be done. In that moment, the fallibility of going it alone was laid bare. Luckily, we did finish the construction a few weeks later, and I am still married. 
So that's good, but please, please don't hire me for your construction projects. But now it's time to start our family. Yes, the construction project took longer than expected, but it was done now so we could finish our adoption process. And in God's perfect timing, he allowed us to become Kendra Joanne's parents. I am meant to be Kendra's dad, and I love that. Okay, so as an analogy for my relationship with Jesus, I have realized that I want him to direct my life. Similar to the way that the construction went with my dad, I chose it, I was active in it, but I knew who I was ultimately submitting to. I figured out I'm not good enough at directing it on my own. So let's get back to the passage. Who is Jesus calling here? He's calling the weary and the burdened. Who is that? I'd say it's anyone who ultimately puts their hope and direction in anything other than their relationship with Jesus. And that does look different for different individuals. This morning, you may be aware of something that you're inclined to put your hope in instead of taking your direction from God. Life is not a decision about whether or not you will put your faith in something, but rather a choice of what you will put your faith in. So where is that present for you? It could be financial. If I hit you know, that amount in savings or retirement or saved up for my kids' education, once I hit that financial check mark, then I will be secure. Could be relational. Either I'm single and once I'm dating that person that looks just like the Hallmark Channel, then my life will be complete. Or you're married and once my spouse finally lives up to my expectations, then my life will be good. Maybe it's your kids. When will they ever start behaving perfectly? Or maybe it's basic greed and envy. I need the next thing. Why don't I have what they have? The idea that the grass is always greener. Are we guilty of this even in the church? I know I am. I've thought, I don't know as much about the Bible as they do, or their family is more spiritual, or I'm not as good as music, at music as they are. But that's just an objective fact. I'm not as loquacious in prayer as they are. See how I use that vocab word just to prove myself? These are all things that we may be tempted at putting at the primacy of our lives, and yet we have to admit that they haven't, can't, and will not bring us rest. Even if they appear restful or fulfilling initially, there is never any peace or long-term rest in those pursuits when set apart from God. So where do we find rest for our souls? And what is rest for our souls? The Anxiety and Depression Association of America says that 19% of adults and 32% of adolescents are impacted by anxiety disorders. National Institute of Health says that about 30% of adults will experience an anxiety disorder at some point in their life. We are not a restful country. Also, what we choose for rest doesn't provide what we think. How many times have I planned out the perfect weekend or the perfect vacation with restful activities for myself, and they never leave me finding soul rest? Or once I'm back at work, I find similar rhythms of frustration and anger. So what is Jesus' yoke, and how does that bring us rest? Well, I'd say the first step is understanding that we are weary and burdened. 
Depending on where you are in life, that may be easier not to affirm at this point. The next step is recognizing that nothing in this life provides ultimate rest for our soul. So let's want something different. I know I want Jesus' yoke. I don't want to be under the control or direction of these other desires. So what's he asking for? He's asking for us. He wants a relationship with us first. He wants us to rely on him only. We have to acknowledge that it is impossible to do this life alone and completely submit to God in relationship with him. An assertion from our heart that we have fallen short and we will never be able to make it. But God bridged that gap for us by sending his only son, Jesus, to take on our sin and die so that all sin would be washed clean. And then Jesus rose from the dead to defeat sin and death. And all we need to do is believe that and follow him with our lives. What incredible good news. A couple verses that articulate this point better than I can. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, or for our purposes this morning, in nothing else, or through nothing else. Ephesians 2.8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Romans 10.9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So how do we find that rest that comes through relationship with him or taking on Jesus' yoke? Well, I have one practice that has been transformational for me that I want to share with you. You could call it silent prayer or solitude. I recently read a book that called it Beholding Jesus, and I love that phrase. So how do we learn from Jesus? Beholding Jesus allows us to learn from him through relationship with him during alone time with him. Two quotes I love from the book. Prayer is mostly the art of joining a conversation rather than starting one. And always praying for the why in situations demands understanding before communion. And Jesus is our model for this. In Luke 5.16, it says, But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. So what does this look like practically for me? I wake up in the morning. I grab a cup of coffee. I put on the warmest shorts I can find. I walk down to the boat ramp at the end of the street, and I talk to Jesus for about 20 minutes. I don't bring an agenda or specifics because I want him to lead. I want to join the conversation with him not direct it. I've experienced some incredible clarity after these times and have felt the calling to move in certain directions. Whether that's relationally with him, my kids, my work, my colleagues. A couple of things that I do to keep my mind from wandering during that time. I want to emphasize, this is the opposite of Eastern mysticism, right? The goal isn't for me to clear my mind, but rather to focus it on Jesus and him only. So a couple of those things. First, the Jesus prayer. This tradition goes back to the early 300s AD. And early Christians called it a prayer of the heart. And it goes like this. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. 
So anytime I feel my mind wandering, I repeat that prayer. Another idea I've tried is this beholding book has encouraged its readers to view silent prayer as bringing the mind down into the heart. Now, what I love about that visual, especially in the morning, it allows me to bring the busyness or anxiety of my mind down into the calm of my heart that wants God in that moment. The book also suggests viewing silent prayer as divine hongi with God. In New Zealand, one tribe welcomes strangers and friends in a practice called hongi, where they touch noses and share breath as a shared intimacy. Now, let me be very clear. I'm not suggesting that practically for our church. In the Northeast, sometimes a hug feels like a step too far. But viewing God as wanting to be that close to you at all times, that was enlightening for me. What did God do when he created Adam? He breathed life into him. How did Jesus give his disciples the Holy Spirit? He breathed it into him, them. To concentrate our thoughts on Jesus breathing his life into ours, what could be a more intimate view of our relationship with him? And isn't that all he's asking for here? How can his yoke be easy and his burden light? Because all he is asking of us is to trust him with his life. You are going to trust in something for your life, and he's the best option by a mile. That decision is worked out through a relationship with him. The things he asks of us may not always be easy, but we trust that he will see it through. He's already won the battle. Our salvation was won in the past. It is being reaffirmed in the present, and it exists in the future. He's just asking that we follow him. Well, solitude is only one piece of the equation. Many times after my 20 minutes of silent prayer, I walk home with every intention to read the Bible. The children are already up, somebody wet the bed, and then I scramble to get to work. I work with 1,800 teenagers and 200 staff at a high school, so that's chaos. Then I drive to two different daycares, pick up my kids, get home, figure out dinner, get baths, figure out bedtime, turn the house over, get my stuff ready for the next work day, and then it's time to go to bed. So Jesus can't just be present during my 20 minutes of quiet in the morning because that will not be sufficient. And my silent time with Jesus necessarily should lead to the service of others. I've recently been inspired by St. Therese of Lisieux. She was a Carmelite nun who lived for 24 years in the 1800s. She summarized her faith philosophy as the little way, working out her relationship with God in every little thing that she did. She spent her life pursuing holiness in the ordinary tasks of life. One quote of hers that I love in my own ordinary tasks is, always keep lifting the foot to climb the ladder of holiness, and do not imagine that you can mount even the first step. All God asks of you is goodwill. He looks lovingly upon you, and soon, touched by your fruitless efforts, he will himself come down, and taking you in his arms, will carry you to his kingdom, never to leave again. That picture of God as my father brings me great peace and rest. You know who else was inspired by St. Therese? Mother Teresa. 
Mother Teresa cited her as her inspiration to do good in her ordinary tasks. Amazing what impact her little way had on the world. And isn't this the way it's supposed to go for us? God is asking us to take on his yoke by working out our lives constantly with him. And the future is wide open for all of us. I'd like to invite the band up this time. So this morning, I want to encourage you to think of that thing, big or small, in your life that you keep to yourself and causes you to feel weary or burdened. To play out the rest of your life, or the next couple months, or maybe even today. Guess what? You'll never conquer it on your own. Even if you do get out from underneath its grasp, you could just succumb to the pride of believing that you overcame it on your own, which in another way puts you back under its control. The only way through the weariness and burden of the things of this life is to lay them at our Father's feet and say, Father, I cannot do this on my own. Please let me know what my next step is. And through that, you will be taking on Jesus' yoke and you will find rest for your soul. Jesus loves you, he wants that for you, and he will never stop pursuing you.